This is recording number 11053 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 2, 2013. This is the third message in a series titled, His. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Presence in Our Midst. Today we're going to be talking about His presence in our midst. His presence in our midst. And as we look at Exodus chapter 19, we're going to pick up the story of the liberation of the people of Israel. Some of you would know this, that the descendants of Israel have been, were slaves in Egypt for 400 years and God sent Moses to deliver them, set them free. And if you've ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments or uh, that, that uh, animated film, what is that, Prince of Egypt, if you've ever seen that, uh, then you've kind of got the gist of the story. After God liberates them from bondage in Egypt, they come to a place called Mount Sinai and that's where we picked up the story. They're on their way to the promised land. Chapter 19, verse 17 of Exodus. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. They were keeping an appointment with God. And God made the appointment. When God met Moses in the wilderness, and uh, you know, before Moses became a deliverer, and, and he was just checking out this bush that was burning and, and not being consumed, and God spoke to him, out of that bush and, had, and he had an encounter there with God and, and God said, I'm going to make you a deliverer. I'm going to send you to Egypt to, set, to uh, set my people free from their slavery. God said, and when that happens, Moses, I want you to bring him here. Bring him back here to meet with me. It was God's intention to meet with his people. You know that it's God's, been God's intention from the very beginning to be among us. To be present with us. The Bible says that when, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and, before the fall, Adam and Eve enjoyed the presence of God, it says it was like he walked with them. I don't know how to explain that. But it says he walked with them in the Garden of, of uh, Eden. This God who created all things, created us for fellowship with him. And it wasn't because he had a need, it was because he had so much love that he desired to have an object of affection, some uh, a creation to, to share his love with. Oh, there's so much more we could talk about with regard to that. But the thing I want you to see this morning is that it was from the beginning when God determined to create mankind, it was so that he could be with us. And we often talk about the the consequences of the fall and we think about how when Adam and Eve sinned and sin was unleashed and all of its horrific, um, uh, you know, all, all the ways that it has polluted and distorted and ruined everything. That when we unleash sin on this planet, we think about the consequences to us, right? How it's separated us from God, how it's caused all of the 
sickness and, and uh, famine and war and every other kind of horrible thing that our world is facing. We think about the consequences of sin in that regard. But I'd like for you this morning to think about the consequences of sin, our sin, on God. God, because of our sin, was no longer able to have fellowship with us. It cost God more than you and I could ever understand when we sinned. It was his desire from the beginning to have fellowship with us, but sin cut us off from him. And so God, from at that moment, at the scene of the crime, determined not to let this condition stand and began a process of redemption that uh, consummated in the cross of Jesus Christ where the blood of our Savior was shed so that we could have relationship with Him again so that our sin could be covered and no longer separating us from God. It was God's intention to have fellowship with us, to be present with us from the beginning. And so the Lord says to Moses, One, when you've delivered them, when I have delivered them through your ministry out of Egypt, bring them here to meet with me. And so they're keeping this appointment that God made with them. Um, verse uh, 19, excuse me, verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Turn to chapter 20, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, flashes, the sound, excuse me, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Some of the most tragic, sorrowful words in all of the Bible. And now imagine, the God and maker of all things comes down to Mount Sinai. How could it not be that the place is going to shake there's going to be smoke. There's going to be lightnings and thunderings. How could it not be? How could any geographic location, the smallness, the, the confining uh, attributes of any geographic location, how could that not be splitting apart when the presence of the Almighty God is there? And so this is not God just putting on a show to scare people. This is just the consequences of the Almighty being pressed into a location. And the people are afraid because they, they don't understand, because this is beyond them, because it's greater, bigger than they can comprehend. And so they say to Moses, Moses, you talk to God and tell us what he says, but don't let him talk to us. This is just too scary. And they stood afar off. God had come. He had brought them to this place so that he could meet with them. And they said, no, thank you. But Moses goes up on the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments, other instructions from God about how a place of worship was going to be established, the other, um, the other uh, regulations and stuff that would govern their lives. And, and then he comes down from the mountain. And while the people have separated themselves from God, Moses, you go talk to God and tell us what he says. What they do then is they turn and they create their own gods. 
Because we will worship. Everyone will worship. But we want to worship something we can control, something that fits in a nice, neat box and will stay put and not scare us. The real God cannot be contained by any, can't even be contained by our minds. And we prefer the order, the structure, the control that we can exercise over gods we create. So that, that's what they did. Moses comes down, some of you know the story from the mountain, and there's judgment upon the people. It's a terrible scene. But in the aftermath of that, We'll pick up the story at chapter 33 of Exodus and verse 7. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle or tent of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. And you get the impression, so, so here's what happens. There's this, you know, the aftermath of this great sin, this perversion of the people worshiping false gods and, and there's judgment and all this. And then the next thing that happens is that Moses takes his tent and scoots it outside of town so that the presence of the Lord could be could be among them without being you know, in the midst of this wickedness. And you get the impression that the invitation is that anybody can go there. That's kind of what it says there. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of, me tabernacle of meeting, which is outside the camp. But as we read now, we'll, we'll find that nobody took, it doesn't appear that it is as though anyone took up that offer except for Moses and Aaron. Verse 9, And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. He goes on to say that, that uh, Joshua was with him there too. Here's the sad thing about all this is that God is still, God is still wanting to be present among his people. And they won't go. They're happy to stand in the doorway of their own tent and know that somebody's meeting with God. Oh, good. Moses is meeting with God. Hallelujah. And they worship in their doorstep or on their tent, in their tent flap there. But they don't go themselves. Have you ever recognized that about human beings? I'm not, I'm not, notice I didn't say have you ever recognized that about yourself, but you're welcome to go there if you want to. That we're happy to know somebody. Pastor Randy meets with God. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody's doing it. <laughs> if you only knew. <laughs> and so we have this sad state of affairs described for us here that is even common among us today where God wants to be present with us but we're not so sure. We're not so sure. And then, you know, there's, God has said to Moses, you know, after all this, he says, Moses, I'm done with these folks. They don't want me. So I'm going to send my angel before you. I'm going to keep my promise. He, I'll make sure you get led to the promised land. I told you you'd get the promised land. You get it. 
But then he says this, but I'm not going with you. Yikes. Chapter 33, verse 15. Then he, Moses, said to him, God, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. And what he's saying is, God, if you don't go with us, if we don't have your, your presence with us, we're, not, we're, we're, we're just like every other person on the earth. Your presence is what makes us different. It's your presence with us that is the thing that this is all about. It's priority one. If you don't go with us, we're not going. Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, all right, I will do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. This is the kind of relationship God wanted to have with every Israelite. But he says, I know you by name. You have found grace in my sight. And he said, so then Moses says, uh, please show me your glory. Some of you know this story, but I mean, I, it's, it, you know that Moses is feeling a little presumptuous because he's just, um, he's just got into God's face. You know, God says, all right, I'm going to send you and um, my angel will take you, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, <clears throat> but if you don't go with us, we're not going. And God says, okay, I'll go. And, you know, it's right then, the music should swell and they should all march off into the sunset, right? Well, what happens is Moses goes, and while I've got your attention, can I ask one more thing? Could I see your glory? Now, Moses has been meeting with God first on Mount, on Mount Sinai and then in the tent of meeting where the cloud, the pillar of cloud would descend. So I don't even know what he's talking about when he says, can I see your glory? It's beyond anything I can imagine, but Moses knows and God knows. I think he got a taste of something that he knew there was more, for, more about. And he says, God, I'd like the more. How can I see your glory? And God says, Moses, you don't even know what you're asking. Your, your anatomy cannot, cannot withstand the, the force, the magnitude of my glory. But here's what I'll do. I'll put you in this cave, in this vault over here, so you'll be protected. I'll put my hand over it. I'll pass by. Then I'll remove my hand, and you can just see the afterglow. So that's what happens. And then chapter 34, verse 29. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. That experience of being with God transformed his countenance. He was visibly different because he just saw the afterglow of God's glory. All right. 
With that in the background, let's talk a little bit more about the presence of God in our midst, his desire to be present in our midst. It's a promise, dear one. It's a promise. In Hebrews chapter 13, 5, he makes a promise to me and to you personal, a personal promise. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, God doesn't throw around words like never and always and forever. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just throw those around casually. When he says never, what do you think he means? Never. never. I will never leave you or forsake you. When we were worshiping earlier this morning, I felt like the Lord spoke into my heart. And this is the reason I didn't say it then because I knew we'd get the chance now. I felt like the Lord said to me that there was at least one person here this morning. And, and look, I, I know that you get a gathering this size, this would probably be true in any, any sense. It didn't probably take a word of, the, a word of knowledge for the Lord to, to show me this. But I think it was a word of knowledge, meaning that the Lord was giving me, helping me know something I wouldn't have known otherwise. And I felt like the Lord said there's at least one person here who this very week, in the past seven days, you reached a point where you were, you were that close to deciding that God had forsaken you. For whatever reason, he'd forsaken you. And I knew then that it would be my privilege to read this scripture to you and tell you that that's not the truth. If you're here today, dear one, and you have come to that place where you have... You've felt as though God had forsaken you. Hear him say, hear him say, I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what, I will never leave you or forsake you. We have this personal promise from God. We also have a corporate promise from God. And I don't, when I say corporate, I don't mean Apple Corp. I don't mean IBM. I don't mean Chrysler. I mean... All of us together. In Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. It says for where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there in the midst of them. He's not like the celebrities of our age. That wouldn't give you the time of day. If you were asking them to come and, and perform for a group of three. <laughs> but God on the other hand says. Two or three gathered in my name. I'm there. I'm there. Dear ones, every time we come together, whether it's in your micro church group here on Sunday mornings or wherever you are with two or three people, gathered in his name, he is there. And not in some token way, but in all the splendor and glory of who he is. He's present. That's his desire. We have this promise. Let's talk about the pathway to the presence of the Lord. If I can get the thing to work. Can you um, take me to the next slide? The pathway. <clears throat> We've already, this morning we began by singing a song about the blood of Jesus. Not a pretty picture. Nobody, at least... Uh, no one I know of likes to spend a lot of time talking about blood. But dear ones, the blood of Jesus 
is what makes it possible for us to have the experience of the presence of God. Our sin separated us from God. I already talked about that. And God, when he spilt the blood of his son at the cross of Calvary, made it possible for you and I to experience his presence again. Chapter, Hebrews chapter 19, excuse me, chapter 10, verses 19 to 20 say, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. How many of you want to just stop and thank Jesus for shedding his blood for you? I do. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for letting them pierce your hands and feet that that precious blood could be poured out for to cover my iniquity thank you Jesus that soul anchoring truth of the blood of Christ that was shed for your redemption dear one can become, if you're not careful, just something you know. Some truth that you have logged away on the, in the recesses of your brain. But the Lord wants it to be more than that. He wants for it to be something that makes possible your experience with the presence of God. He doesn't want it to just be something you know, but something that you experience the Bible tells us that praise, the worship of God, is what allows us to experience what is true because of the blood of Jesus. I mentioned this as we began our service this morning, but in Psalm 22, verse 3, it says that you, O Lord, you are holy and enthroned in the praises of Israel. There's something that when I worship God allows his throne the place of his dominion and rule to be present there. That's why we make such a priority of worship in our church. Because we want to be where God is. We want his rule and dominion to descend among us, to be among us. In Psalm 100 verse 2 it says, Come before his presence with singing. Verse 4 of that same chapter it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. When we worship the Lord, it's as though we make our way across this pathway that's been paved by the blood of Jesus into the throne room of the Most High. And God likes that. He wants us to be with him. In 2 Chronicles 5, verses 13 and 14, it says, Indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And Drew led us in a song earlier this morning that said, With one voice we lift up our worship. It says, When they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. You know, I don't think this was just an isolated event. I think the Lord wants to, in, in ways perhaps 
not as, uh, as a demonstrably, demonstrably dramatic, but as true and real as this, make his presence known wherever his people gather. Let's talk about the power of his presence. I love this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Lord is present, there's freedom. When you come into the presence of the Lord, whatever kind of shackles have gotten a grip on your life, habits, distortions, pattern of living that you want to leave behind, the presence of the Lord is so powerful that those things cannot maintain their grip on you. When you are in the presence of the Lord, those shackles come undone. In the presence of the Lord, there's liberty. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. It's hard to be depressed in the presence of God. I mean, it just is. It can't stand. That spirit of depression cannot withstand the presence of the Lord. It's as though he comes in and presses all of that darkness out. In Acts chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 it says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. Anybody came here this morning needing some refreshing? Just me again. You know, it's, that's one of the privileges of pastoring is you get to talk to yourself in a socially acceptable way. And I'm happy to do it. But there is something about the refreshing that comes to, oh, you can breathe again. The things that have seemed to be, you know, weighing you down and piling up on you. It seems as though worship allows that to be turned upside down and you see them from above. Those things fall away and there is refreshing that comes. Dear one, enjoy that refreshing of the Lord that you're experiencing right now because of the presence of the Lord among us. Luke chapter 5 verse 17 says, And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The sad thing was that the people who were gathered there in the house where Jesus was uh, preaching on that day that Luke is describing for us, they, weren't, they did not benefit from the healing that was present because Jesus was present. So where Jesus was, the Spirit of God was present. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. But they didn't benefit from it. It was a guy that was lowered through the roof. You've heard the story. Guy lowered through the roof. He got healed because he wasn't among the crowd just kind of sitting back, you know, and scrutinizing and debating. Can he, he, can he really forgive sins? And who is this guy? And they didn't get to benefit from it. But wherever the Lord is present and people's hearts are opened, the Lord wants to heal. Heal. Sick bodies, sick minds, sick souls. God wants to heal. And his presence, the power of his presence brings that. And finally, I want to just leave you with the priority. The priority of his presence. You know, Moses, he said, look God, and this is scary. 
Moses and the people of Israel could have had the promised land without God. Yikes. That's scary, dear one. Because you, can, you and I can have the benefits of a relationship with God without his presence. I mean, I, I shudder to think about how much of my Christian life has been like that. But, but Moses said, no, God, if, if, what's the point? We're just like everybody else. Unless you are present with 